0: glad we weren't singing Let It Snow today, right? <laughs> we'll just stick with rain for now. I I had a uh, thought that came to mind uh, this morning as I was getting ready. I was in Bible college. Uh, the school that I went to assigned us churches that we would go to and visit and uh, would help. We were basically kind of uh, forced labor, you know, as, as a school. It was kind of, you know, part of the in, uh, experience of Bible college. And uh, so we would we'd get assigned uh, different churches, and my first church was an hour and 45 minutes away from the school, and I used to go with a, a friend named Brian, his little Kia car, and uh, one day we had eight, 8 to 10 inches of snow, and uh, the church wouldn't cancel service, so we drove an hour and 45 minutes to Hull, Massachusetts, in 8 to 10 inches of snow, now Mind you, this church had an average attendance of 12 people. So we drive there, we get there, it's an hour and 45 minutes away, we pull up to the parking lot and it's not shoveled. So not only is the parking lot not shoveled or plowed, we get to the steps and the the entry place of the church, no shovel, no salt. I mean, we're there five minutes before service starts. So we kind of get up into the building and I'm not kidding you, we, we met Pastor Peter, I uh, was a pastor there, and my friend Brian was a former drug addict, went through Teen Challenge, just kind of had a funny personality, just always a goofball. He said, Pastor Peter, plan on shoveling today? You know, just real sarcastically, and he goes, what, you think we should? <laughs> and Brian looks at me like, you've got to be kidding me. And uh, three people showed up that Sunday, including the pastor's wife, I kid you not. She's running sound from the back of the sanctuary that was freezing cold. And at one point during his sermon, she said, honey, I'm leaving. <laughs> okay? Not only did she say that during his sermon, he said, well, before you leave, turn my mic up. She said, there's three people here. You don't need a mic. <laughs> and then she laughed. And, you know, it was just quite uh, the experience and uh, good times. But anyway, just kind of reminded me, I appreciate the custodians and so forth that take care of this place, and uh, it's just great to come and know that the lot's covered, and you know, uh, just a good thing. Before we jump into the Bible this morning, I do want to remind uh, you that I know that many of you guys took the books and the sheets that were on the table last week, the, the, the prayer, um, praying with promised books, and so forth with the scriptures. Uh, we ordered a bunch more, and so they're available Uh, As you leave today On the table And uh, feel free you can take those If you haven't been here the last two weeks I'll just bring you up to speed Uh, Week one we talked about prayer Is not so much asking God uh, To do things that he's reluctant to do in our lives But it's about agreeing with God uh, And what he already wants to do In the world, in our lives That prayer is not a wishing relationship But it's a working relationship It's a partnership Uh, Last week we talked about uh, the Lord's Prayer. That it's more than just a formula. It's more than just read this prayer, recite this prayer. But it, that in that prayer are facets or keys to effective praying, prayer in our lives. And I challenge you to to begin this new year to pray consistently, twenty minutes a day. I believe that it will transform, revolutionize your relationship with God spiritually. That when we gather together Sundays, as great as it is, it really should simply be a supplement. For the growth that is taking place in your life throughout the week. As you're growing on your own, as you're growing, as you're connecting connecting in life groups and so forth. This morning we're going to talk about praying with authority. Say authority. Now when I was a kid, I I remember every Saturday, my father and I grew up playing ice hockey. and, And so I would go to Penn State on Saturday mornings and I would play uh, hockey some weeks and then many of the weeks I would watch my dad pray, play. And what I would do throughout the week as a little kid is I would collect change or a couple dollar bills for the vending machines at the Penn State ice rink. And as he was out playing hockey I would sneak down to the vending machines and I would first of all I'd go for the biggest thing as a little kid I could find in the machine. They were the chips on the top row or the big honey buns the sticky buns. And I would take my change that I gathered together uh, during the week, and I would put it in the machine, and I'd press, you know, D7 or, or E2, and the snack would begin to fall. But, you know, we can put a person on the moon. We can examine a cell. But we can't design vending machines with metal pieces that will adequately drop an item without it getting stuck. How many of you, you've had it get stuck before between, you know, or between the glass? And so, so what do you do? Well, I know the science says you're not supposed to shake the, the machine, but how many of you, you've pounded a vending machine? Raise your hand, go ahead, look around. These are the people that are angry, okay? You- pounded a vending machine. If that doesn't work, you kick it. If that doesn't work, you shake it because eventually you'll get the chips and then you'll get a candy bar and something else you not have to fail and then you realize you can get some stuff for free. So anyway, I would shake the vending machine. I would beat the tar out of it. So here's the application before we jump into the Bible today. I think a lot of times we view prayer, say prayer, like it's a vending machine. that we approach God. We, we pull out the money, we pull out our prayers, we, we deposit them into the machine, we press kind of the right button, we say amen, which is like E7, and then we stand next to the vending machine hoping that the, the, the answer to our prayer will fall out of the sky. But then how many of you, you've been there before? You pray, you're standing there, you're waiting, but it's like God's response is like, hung up on the wires or it's stuck between the wire and the glass and you're standing there frustrated like God this is supposed to, to work this way I put in my prayer I pressed the right button I asked in Jesus' name and now things are, are stuck they're hung up and we're frustrated so I want you to see this on the screen here's the wrong idea about prayer it says that God has it I need it so how do I get it? Many of us, we, we look at prayer like this. God, you've got it all in the machine. I need it, so I put in my prayers. How do I get it? And a lot of times we struggle, we get frustrated because we think, God, it seems like it's supposed to work, but now we're, 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 we're frustrated. Here's the other idea. Here's what I believe is the right idea. That God wants it, Satan resists it, And you and I fight or contend for it in prayer. It's so much more than, God, you've got it. I do my thing and I get it. I believe that God wants it. He has and wants so many good things for your life. The enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy resists it. But you and I fight for those things. We contend for those things in prayer. Part of having a biblical Worldview is to realize that there is a real enemy in the world today who's trying to resist everything that God wants to do. Call it Satan, the enemy, fallen angels, demons, whatever terminology you want to use. A lot of times we want to blame the lack of fruit or answers to prayer on the enemy in times of our, our lives. We, we, we say, well, God, I want this, I need this, I've done the right thing, and now all of a sudden it doesn't work. A lot of times we'll we'll blame basically everything as a spiritual attack. And I want to share with you just real quickly before we jump into the Bible this morning. That I'm not one to always pit things on uh, as a spiritual attack. I believe that there's a real enemy. I believe that he's fighting, he's battling you and I. But you know, how many of you, you've just made bad decisions in life. You ever just make a bad decision, okay? Let's not give the enemy too much credit in those areas of our lives. You make poor decisions. There are natural consequences that happen. I think a lot of times we're real quick to say the enemy is attacking me spiritually. I'm fighting because it kind of makes us uh, maybe feel uh, like we're able to justify a lack of wisdom in, in our lives. But I do believe that that you and I as well, we do fight real spiritual battles. We fight real spiritual battles, and we contend for those things in prayer. Here's the main point, and then you can turn to Ephesians 2. That God is not like a personal vending machine, you'll see on the screen. But he's like a commanding officer. That God's desire is that he overthrew the powers of darkness On the earth, and he wants to use you and I to bring about his goodwill on the earth. He wants to mobilize an army of prayer. And if you understand this, you'll begin to look at life much more differently. You'll you'll see your problems in proper perspective as we approach prayer. Ephesians 2 is written by Paul. Paul's a church planter, he planted the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he's writing this letter, possibly from prison in Rome, to give them instructions on a, on a more biblical worldview. He's reminding his audience that since they belong to Christ, that they're in Christ, that they need to start living their lives differently. They need to distance themselves from immorality and to strive to live pure and holy lives now that they're made alive in Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 uh, this morning, let's stand together. And we'll begin here. We do want to welcome, if anybody's watching online, uh, we just want to encourage you. There's a link behind the message this morning that's just sharing your story. Feel free to share uh, with us something that God's doing in your life. And we just appreciate, you know, people that share those throughout the week. Just got an awesome story this week from someone uh, that's watching online. Ephesians chapter two, one through two. As for you, you were dead, say dead, In your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray you would challenge, that you would equip, Lord, that you would encourage each person that's here today. Holy Spirit, we pray you would speak to us through Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. In your name. Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you can begin reading Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 2. It doesn't sound very encouraging. As Paul is describing our lives before Christ. He says that we're spiritually dead. That it's as if there's this longing inside of us. That we're hallowed. That we're unable to connect with God. And that when we receive God. That this new life is inside of you and I. There is this emptiness and this void the ruler of the kingdom of the air it's talking about the spirit who's at work in those that are disobedient this is referring to the powers of evil the powers of darkness and, and the demonic realm and the world today is covered by a cloud of darkness spiritually speaking we read in the book of genesis at the beginning of time uh, that as Adam and Eve, as God had given, he had entrusted them this territory. And because of their disobedience, eating from the forgive, or forbidden fruit, they sinned. And, and not only sin came, but sin now entered into their lives. And our world, our world system and structure is now under the rulership and the authority. It's kind of under this cloudness, cloud of darkness. Maybe you've seen before the TV show Under the Doom that's based on a on a book written by Stephen King that portrays this kind of spiritual doom or darkness from this foreign source that basically locks down the entire town of Maine. See, before Christ, you and I, when sin entered the world, we were trapped under the doom and the destruction of, of darkness and evil in our world today. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe in spiritual forces of, of evil in high places. But I want to tell you that I personally, and based on God's word, believe that much more is supernatural than we would ever think or imagine. If you don't believe it, try to make sense of what's taking place in our world today. As you watch the news and watch what's taking place around the world. How do you describe the hurt How do you describe the evil, the pain, the suffering, the injustice? You can't just simply attribute it to human actions. Why is there so much destruction in marriages and families today? Why is our world filled with so much hurt and grief? Because it's cursed. It's under the domination of of darkness and that's what Paul is describing here in Ephesians chapter 2 we pick up in verse 3 he says all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath Paul is describing our condition before Christ that we had this tendency towards the spiral of of self-destructive behavior and sin And one day, God's going to do away with evil and judge the world. And for those that haven't had that evil removed from their lives, they'll be part of that judgment. This is the pre-existing condition of every person in our world today before relationship with Jesus. You'll see on the screen the four conditions. First of all, they're spiritually dead. The word is, is separated, that they're outside of relationship with Jesus. They're separated from the real purpose and and meaning of life. They're separated from that purpose, which really is that you and I were designed and we were intended for relationship with Jesus. But not only are they dead, spiritually speaking, they're dominated. That they've fallen short, they've missed the mark, they've slipped down the slippery slope of, of what is good and holy and righteous and true. They're defeated spiritually, they've given themselves over to the cravings of sin, Outside of Jesus, we're self-centered, we're self-deserving, we, we view our, ourselves as kind of the center of, of the universe and are doomed because of the consequences of sin in our lives. And Paul is making and painting this picture of our condition before Christ. The good news of the gospel is that God sent Jesus to come. To live a sinless life. To take upon himself the punishment. The wages of sin in our lives. That while we were yet sinners. The Bible says. Jesus died for us. That it's as if God is this commanding officer. And sends Jesus. This secret agent. Wrapped in, in swaddling clothes. That grew up fairly anonymous. Up until the age of 30. We have very little about him. And yet he steps forward and he's he's doing miracles and the world is being turned upside down on him. Yet they turn on him and they crucify him. But on the third day, Jesus basically bursts on the scene. Out of the tomb, he defeats death, darkness, sin. And the Bible says that he's exalted to the highest place. That Jesus as a human being has now reestablished our right And position as his followers over spiritual darkness. He came to defeat those powers. And he took back what rightfully belonged to us, his children. And now he's seated above darkness. Reading on in Ephesians 4 through 6. This should excite you. But because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Why have we been saved? Is it our goodness? Does God take good people and make them better? No, he takes people that are spiritually dead. He washes them with his grace and makes us alive in Christ. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And now Jesus is over. He's not under darkness. He's above and beyond. Every demon in hell submits to him because of his power and his authority. And as a follower of Jesus being made alive in Christ, you are now above darkness. You've been transferred to a different place. You're above and beyond the doom and destruction of this world. This has huge implications to your prayer life. Huge implications to your prayer life. If you begin to perceive God as the commanding officer, someone that is sending you, you're his representative. And in that representation, you carry his kingdom everywhere you go. You have the ability to release his will on the earth. You are sent as his ambassador. You carry his presence. You're an ally with Jesus who rules over everything. Prayer is not a wishing relationship. It's a partnership that you and I partner with him. And there's a couple of things that I want you to see this morning. And that we're going to pick up on this in two weeks. Then, as God is your commanding officer sending you and I into the world. The first of all is this. That you have a role to play in this kingdom. In bringing healing, say healing, to a broken world. You and I are to be people that administer healing, not just simply physically speaking, but it's this all-encompassing healing that takes place emotionally, physically, spiritually speaking, that you're chosen as his representative to bring healing or the healing of heaven to the earth as you surrender more and more to him. We see back in Genesis chapter 2 that the Lord had given man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of him. And the idea, even in the Old Covenant, is that you and I are to influence the places that you and I are given responsibility. Responsibility of our own lives. Responsibility of the atmosphere of our home. Responsibility of the place that you work, your household. Everywhere that you go, the place that you live. You're his representative to minister healing, his Everywhere that you go. That the idea is that everywhere you step, from the second you walk out of this building, you are to bring the kingdom of God with you and through your life. That that's the role that you play in the kingdom of God. May your will, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done, as we talked about recently, in and through my life. The second thing is that the rank, the position that you have in Christ, say in Christ. That you and I are not under, we do not pray as if we are under the power of evil in our world today, but we pray from a position where we are over the powers of evil in our world today. It's a supervisory position. Now some of you, as you faithfully served over the years at your place of employment, as you served over the years you've been promoted, how many of you, you've been promoted before? And as you're promoted on an earthly level, what happens? All of a sudden, now your your responsibility in theory, your reach, your influence has now expanded beyond where you presently were. And just as we measure on an earthly perspective, the same thing is true in God's kingdom. That when you pray, you pray from a rank where you're above. You're not submitted to the powers of this, this world. You're not submitted to the evil forces in our world today, but that Paul is saying that you're in Christ, that your rank is in Christ, not in a prideful or arrogant way. It's not like we walk around with our nose up in the air like we're better than anybody else. The I've said over and over again that I believe that every good spiritual blessing flows through the tunnel of humility. It's not so much that we need to get this so that we can carry ourselves differently in a prideful or an arrogant way, but you've got to get this In your spirit, that and and the the challenge is that as we read God's word, that His kingdom, when it comes to rank, is kind of turned on. uh, You know, it just fights basically every form of of logic in our world today. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, as you read about the New Testament, you'll see that God says, "Put the title aside and pick up the towel and to begin to serve people." That you lead by example. We don't focus on position. Well, I'm a Christian or I'm better than you or I'm a leader or I'm a volunteer. Or whatever. And he's not concerned about position. He's concerned about you and I serving him faithfully. If you walk around with this, with this attitude that you're better than other people, Jesus never modeled that in the new covenant. He never modeled that. He humbly served people. Sacrificially served people. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus? You ever read through the Gospels and you like, why don't you just demand that people submit to you? Why don't you just tell them what's up? Well, I believe because people will generally submit to a position or title, but they'll follow a leader. And Jesus wasn't about people submitting to him. He was about people following him. He said, pick up your cross and follow after me. He's about making disciples. That was the goal. To how you gain influence with people. As a Christian, you are in Christ. And here's what I want you to get today. That when you, you fight spiritual battles in prayer, you don't fight from a position of lack. You don't fight From a position of weakness. You don't fight from a position of. I'm under the spiritual forces of evil. In our world today. As a Christian. You're made alive in Christ. And demons in hell. Are to submit to you. And you can't walk away. Thinking well that's who I am. It has nothing to do with you. Jesus wants you to die to you. Die to yourself. It has everything to do. With who he is in our lives. But the idea is that now that you're in Christ, you're elevated over darkness. That you have the ability to speak, as we've been talking about, Pastor Jeff Leak's book, Praying with Confidence. That you have the ability to speak in Jesus' name and to declare a wall of protection around you, around your family, around your home, around your relationships, around your finances. That you have the ability through the power and the authority in Jesus' name to pray for the sick and see healing take place. That you have the ability to hear from God and to speak prophetically into people's lives as you're asking God to speak to you. You've got to grab this. You've got to get this in your spirit. It's why we have uh, the Thursday night. Uh, life group that's meeting right now called the authority of the believer in supernatural living through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that you and I are exercising we're administering God's kingdom, his presence, his power and authority into people's situations, circumstances and their lives. We see this early in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, Paul saying, in order That you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably, basically saying nothing touches God's great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the re- heavenly realms, far above the rulership and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is invoked, not only is that in the present age, but it also in the age to come. And God placed all things. How many things did God place? All things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. When you fight and you pray spiritually, you fight in prayer, you pray from a place of victory. You pray in Jesus' name because he's an overcomer. Because you and I are a child of his. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that you and I have an inheritance in his kingdom. It's part of your spiritual DNA. You don't fight for this victim mentality. Like, God, I hope... That you're wanting, I hope, that you're willing, I hope that you're able to do that. That's like praying, you know, uh, restricted. Or it's, it's, it's as if you're living uh, spiritually restricted when he said, you and I, free. How many of you have seen the movie Unbroken? Have you seen the movie? Good movie. A soldier, Lewis, who is a U.S. Olympian. His plane is uh, shot down in World War II, spends 40 uh, 40 or 50 so days at sea, and he's thrown into a Japanese uh, prisoner of war camp. In this camp, he suffers under torturous conditions, under the corporal, who was jealous of him as an Olympian and the incredible strength, and so he's continually beat down and suffering to great extent, and he's moving from prison to prison. And you see towards the end of the movie, that the allies have, have won the war. And the prisoners are free, they're liberated, the captors begin to flee. And there's this scene at the end of the movie where Lewis is now occupying the office uh, of this uh, leader that was incredibly cruel to him, this place that he had now slept. And now Lewis is walking into this place where the enemy had rested. Now he's walking in and he's possessing that office. There's a scene at the end of the movie as the Allied planes fly over and they tilt their wings signifying the war is over. And I think a lot of times what happens is instead of us running, into Jesus and saying, "I'm made alive in Christ Jesus. You've set us free." We we almost pray like we're restricted in prison, as if we're bound and we're confined by the spiritual forces of evil in our world today. It would be absolutely ridiculous for that scene, for now that 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 victory to be won and and the signal for them now to to leave that prison, for them just to stay behind. Jesus conquered death. And that you and I made alive in Christ, we now pray from a position of, of victory in his name. We have a role and we have a rank. Number three, we have a right to believe for breakthrough and answers to prayer. As you and I pray, prayer is not demanding something from God that he doesn't want to give. The great reformer Martin Luther used to say, he said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of his willingness. That God is the commanding officer, that he's sending you and I as his ambassador, his representative to the battlefield, and that you and I are overcomers, that the victory has been won. You and I have given power and authority in his name, and that every place that we go, it is our right to believe that that place will become territory for the kingdom of God. That the devil is, I believe, far more afraid of you getting hold and grasping fully this thing of prayer. Then you should ever be afraid of him. Then he can't touch you anymore because of the victory and the inheritance that you have in Christ. The revelation that I think so many people need to fully get. Is that so often we come to God as like we're a beggar. Praying you know, to this reluctant God that's standing back holding Withholding good things from us when the reality is that you honor God and that you surrender more and more to him, that he wants to release you, he wants to commission you, he wants to send you to represent his kingdom on the earth. The vantage point is, is so very different that wherever the enemy is attacking you spiritually today as a Christian being made alive in Christ, you have the ability to believe for breakthrough in that Whatever that is, as you've gone into 2016, some of you, you just, you, you're, you're serving Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're surrendering, but you look at this year and you're saying, well, it's just another year of this. It's just another year of that. It's the same old, same old. Struggling in my marriage today, be struggling in my marriage tomorrow. Struggling in my finances, be struggling in my finances tomorrow. Sick in body, I'll be sick in body No, as part of an ambassador, as part of a sent one in his kingdom, you have a right to believe for breakthrough in prayer. You do. You really do. Now, how many of you know it's not always my way, it's not always my timing, it's not always... But you, you fight from a place of victory, and you say, God, I have a right to demand victory in this area of my life, and I'm trusting God, your perfect timing to release that. How many, by a show of hands, you've prayed for something for two, three years, and then all of a sudden, the Lord just releases that? Raise your hand, look around a lot of us. God, I wish you was just do this and do that, and all of a sudden it works, but you, you contend for those things in prayer, and in his perfect timing, he releases those things in our lives and in the lives of others. Finally, That I believe we have a responsibility as his ambassador to use the authority that we have in Christ. See, the enemy of our soul wants us to believe that you and I don't pray. We don't speak and declare things uh, in Jesus' name that has all power and authority. He wants you to stop. He wants to silence the church. One of the things that I love right now about Franklin Graham gathering people all over our nation, to pray, to pray. I mean, spiritually, what on earth is gonna happen in our nation? I don't know, but we can pray. We can pray. And I believe that we have the responsibility to use this and to pray. Ephesians chapter six says that we're in a spiritual war, that our battle is not, Against flesh and blood. Turn on the TV. See the hurting world today. We don't simply sit back and, and play the blame game like every other person. Well, it's this person's fault. If we wouldn't have had this leader, if we wouldn't have had that leader, then this wouldn't happen. Then that wouldn't happen. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's not. That means everybody else's fault except ours. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is to pray. Our responsibility is to bring heaven down to the places of the earth that feel a lot like hell today. And the church should be a praying church. The Lord needs to break our heart for what's taking place in our our world today. I want to encourage you, many of you, I had a couple of you say this past week that this was the week that you really committed to praying 15, 20, 30 minutes a day. You've seen... And you're beginning to see breakthrough in your life. And I want to challenge you more and more. To develop in, in as part of your spiritual disciplines. A regular habit of prayer and fasting. I know that there's a lot of fasts out there today. And I reference it periodically and so forth. But I really would encourage you fast food. There's a lot of things that you can fast. But I believe That one of the ways that that I believe that God, uh, there are certain things in his kingdom that he only releases, the Bible says, but by prayer and fasting. That you find seasons and spaces to develop a rhythm of prayer and fasting in your life. And you pray, and you contend, and you fight for things in prayer. Would you close your eyes for a minute as Aaron and the worship team begins to come. Praying with confidence. Praying confidence maybe you're here today and you still are saying Lord I need this shift to take place in my your mind you're here today and you pray and you come to God and you you spend time with him but you you pray as if you're praying with a victim mentality you pray as if you're praying to God who's withholding good things from you and saying, God, if, you just, if you're willing to help poor old little me, Lord, would you release that thing in my life? And the Lord, over the last couple weeks and continuing on, I really believe, like I've said time and time again, that this year for many of you, the Lord's gonna begin to shift some things in your prayer life. And you're going to begin praying with confidence. You're going to begin declaring things over your home, over your family, over your neighbors. You'll begin to hear from God. You'll begin to pray prophetically based on what you're hearing. And you're going to see the Lord do just some amazing things as a result of you realizing your position in Christ. And how that dramatically changes the way that we pray. Maybe you're here today and you just struggle in this area. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I do want to just pray for you today as you're seated. See, Zach, I can just struggle in this area of prayer. I wrestle with who I am and maybe who I'm not. And who am I to deserve these things from God? Who am I to be entitled? And yet it really has nothing to do with who am I. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. And you just openly, you just ask struggle in this area. And I want to see my my prayer time with God. I want to see my relationship with God shift so that I pray from a position of victory. I pray with a level of confidence, knowing that my God is doing great things in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you today. Just openly and honestly, would you just raise your hand? Several of you are here today. So, Lord, we just come today. Lord, you see